Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we normally don't have enough time to get through all the live comments and questions that get sent in. But if you sent in those questions and you tip to support the channel, I want to make sure you don't have to wait too long to get those questions answered. So we gather up those questions and we address them here on companion videos and it is monday ladies and gentlemen it was good to get back to the show this morning we got a bunch of questions left over from that show so let's not waste any time and get right to it we're going to start getting caught up with a question from jaskier who writes one of two i love the new witcher trailer but the music didn't fit uh, i disagree i thought it fit pretty well anyway maybe i'm ignorant you're not ignorant uh, but it took me out of the experience. It's distracting. I've been noticing a lot of trailers and movies just throwing in rap music. For instance, Shang-Chi has a beautiful score. Your thoughts? Uh, two of two. But the end credits But the end credits is just a random rap song. If you have a wonderful score, why not use it? The Batman vs. Uh, Superman trailer had Zimmer's music and was enhanced by it. Infinity Wars trailer had the Avengers theme. Even the song for Logan's trailer fit thematically. Well, I mean, that's all then a, a matter of your taste, I suppose. Like, for instance, the end of Black Panther, like when Black Panther ends and they go to that song, all the stars, I can't remember the name of the song. Because I can sing it so well. Um, you know, it's was totally out of pace with the rest of the movie, but there's something appropriate about that considering that's the end. It's the end credits. And they did that for Black Panther. I thought it fit really well. And I personally thought that fit really well for Shang-Chi as well. And by the way, it maybe have been out of step with the score of the film, but it fit in perfectly with the soundtrack of the film. Like Shang-Chi's soundtrack has a lot of those types of songs. And so therefore going to that in the end credit scene, I thought was pretty appropriate. Now, it's a lot like a lot of other things in movies. It's subjective for you. That music in The Witcher kind of took you out of it. For a lot of people, it probably got you pumped up. For me, it kind of worked, but I respect the fact that it didn't work for you quite so well. I've certainly had that experience too. Not with The Witcher trailer, but I have had that exact same experience as you, Jasker. So thanks for sharing your thoughts. All right, next up. Jeremiah writes, Hey, John, I'm really starting to believe your theory on Spider-Man going back to Sony. However, is it, is it at all possible with the multiverse in play that the MCU keeps Tom Holland's Spider-Man and Sony has their own Spider-Man? What are your thoughts? Thanks. Well, I'll tell you what, Jeremiah, that's, I've been asked this question about a thousand times, like without exaggeration. Well, couldn't Marvel just have a Spider-Man and the Sony universe have their own Spider-Man? The answer to that question is no. Neither side wants to be making live-action Spider-Man while there's other live-action Spider-Man movies being made at the exact same time. Nobody wants that. Marvel doesn't want that. Sony doesn't want that. It makes no sense. It would just cause a lot of confusion. And honestly, it would just create a lot of animosity amongst the fans. Because then you get fans of the Sony Spider-Man who refuse to see anything in the Marvel Spider-Man. And then you have fans of the Marvel Spider-Man. And there's no reason Sony needs to do that. Sony has all the power here. They have the rights to Spider-Man. It's theirs. So, uh, but again, it's 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 a both sides lose. Kevin Feige doesn't want to have live-action Spider-Man if somebody else is doing live-action Spider-Man, and vice versa. So, no, that's not a scenario that would happen. Now, one doing live-action, one doing animated, you can do that. But two live-action Spider-Men, 
No, I don't think either Sony or Marvel wants that. So probably not. No. All right. Next up. Uh, let's see here. An anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John. With Eternals being the MCU's one and only rotten movie on Rotten Tomatoes, last time I checked has a 59%, so the majority of the critics still like it, but it is, as a matter of fact, the lowest rated um, MCU movie so far. Anyway, uh, I think it pretty much guarantees that they ever make an Eternals 2. Chloe Zhao is out, as there has never been an MCU director with lower than an 80% Rotten Tomato score to return for a sequel. I completely disagree. Chloe Zhao will be back. Chloe Zhao will be back if Chloe Zhao wants to be back. Kevin Feige is absolutely enamored with her. He thinks she's like the best filmmaker in the world. He loves her, and he loves her work. And most importantly, Kevin Feige loves her movie. And what a lot of people miss about Kevin Feige, and this is why he's been so successful, Kevin Feige doesn't listen to the fans. Kevin Feige has his finger on the pulse of the fans, but he doesn't listen to him. You know, you're never going to make a, like say an online petition demanding that Kevin Feige do something and Kevin Feige's going to do it. Never, it'll never happen. Never happen. Kevin Feige has been successful because he follows his own instincts. He has his fingers on the pulse of the fan base, but then he follows his instincts as to what to do with that information. And Kevin Feige loves Chloe Zhao. And Kevin Feige loves this movie. And so he's going to continue on. I mean, again, it's going to be up to Chloe Zhao if she wants to come back for another one, but believe that Kevin Feige would absolutely, this thing could have a 5% critic rating. This movie could have a 5% critic rating and make $10 at the box office. He would still bring Chloe Zhao back if she wanted to come back. Absolutely guarantee it. I'm not guaranteeing she'll be back, but if she doesn't come back, that'll be her choice. Kevin Feige would absolutely have her back no matter what. All right, next up. Uh, James Yu writes, one of two. Hey, John, my wife and I watched Rogue One uh, when she asked me a strange question. She asked, have you noticed that all Star Wars movies under Disney star under Disney star, a white British brunette actress and their male co-stars have died? Well, that's not true at all. I mean, a couple of them have, but like even just off the top of my head, Solo like was a male lead and he didn't die at the end. And yeah, so anyway, uh, sorry, it's two or two. I went back and looked, and the only one to live was, oh, so you're going back, so you're going to Hansel yourself, but the only one to live was Han. Andor, check. Yeah, but she died in it too. <laughs> like, Andor wasn't the only one who died. She died too. Everybody died. The whole cast died. Anyway, Andor, check. Han, check. Well, not in Solo, but he did in that, uh, in the other one too. But then again, a lot of other characters died as well, including, you know, the general, including Leia, including, like, so that happened too. Anyway, Luke, check. Uh, ben, check. If my math adds up, then Indy will die in his new movie, which also has a British brunette lead actress. Well, I mean, if Indy dies in this movie, it's going to be because Harrison Ford wants him to die in the movie. But no, listen, you can't make generalities like that and then ignore the other facts, you know. The girl always live and the man always dies. Well, no, that's not true. In Rogue One, everybody died, including the male characters, including the female characters. In Star Wars, all the original trilogy died, including the, some of the side male characters and some of the side female characters. So, and in Solo, no, it was a male lead and the male survived. So did the female character, as a matter of fact. So I don't think... Now, if this was a series of 20-plus films, maybe you could look for a pattern there, but I, I don't think you can do that here. I don't think you can do that here. Anyway, all right, next up. Uh, Mr. Morse writes, 
As I write this, Eternals is officially the first rotten MCU film ever. I would like to offer my sincere condolences to Chloe Zhao, the cast, and everyone else who worked on the film. This can't be an easy thing to live with. Stay strong, fam. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, there were hopes going into, you know, we were hearing things. I'm just going to pull this up on my screen right here. Um, What am I looking for? I'm looking for Eternals, Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, The last time I checked, it actually dropped to 58%. Oh, it's gone back up to 59. Okay, whatever. Um, but it is officially the lowest scored MCU film out of the 25, 26 films they've done. This is clearly not what some people in Disney were telling people was the best film they ever made. I mean, maybe to them it's the best film they ever made, but to a lot of us, it's not the best film they ever made. Hell, to me, it's not even the best film they made this year. Uh, that title goes to Shang-Chi. I do like it, though. I like it quite a bit. And the reality is, it's still, and this is factual, this isn't spin, this is a fact, the majority of critics like this movie. But it is, at 58%, that means the majority of the critics who have watched this film like it. 58% liked it, 42% didn't. So that's a clear majority for those who did. But you still can't shake the fact that it is the lowest critically rated MCU movie to date. Now, whether that had something coming off the incredible emotional high of Shang-Chi or the fact that it's so stylistically different from all the MCU movies or or a thousand other reasons, it's still going to be really interesting to see how the audience responds to it. And if this thing makes $70 million opening weekend like Shang-Chi does, you're not going to have to offer your condolences to anybody. They'll all be just fine. Now, I don't personally think Eternals will make $70 million opening weekend. I might be wrong. It very well could. I think it's going to come in closer to 50. That's my guess. But again, these are the critic ratings. The majority of the critics like it, but less of them, a smallest majority ever, smallest majority ever for an MCU film. But what's really going to count here, what's really going to be interesting is to see the audience scores. That's going to be And I have no idea. I was saying on the John Campus show earlier today, I have no idea. Like, I won't be surprised if the audience scores come in at 90%. Honestly, I won't be surprised. At the same time, I won't be surprised if the audience scores come in at 60%. I won't be surprised by that either. I have actually no idea because this is such a different MCU movie. I have no idea how the fans are going to react. We'll find out uh, in about a week. We'll find out in about a week. All right, next up. We go to uh, uh, Gene Bezeret writes, even if Eternals flops, uh, you are you are still right that they had a good track record so far, and this one speed bump should not call for Feige to reevaluate the current MCU plan. I just hope Mr. Potato Head, a.k.a. Bob Chapek, feels the same way. Yeah, so it came in, somebody wrote in this question the other day about if Eternals flops, and I don't see any reason to believe it'll flop, but if it does... Will that make Kevin Feige reevaluate the direction of the MCU? And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Let's say Thor 2 is bad. And I don't think it's as bad as some people make it out to be, but I'm disappointed in Thor 2. And let's say Iron Man 2 is bad. I, I personally think Iron Man 2 is pretty bad, but whatever. Let's say that. And then let's say that Eternals gets a negative audience score and whatever. That literally makes them... 23 and 3. That makes them 23 and 3. Now, in any sports league, 
if a coach was 23 and three, nobody would be saying, oh man, the coach should better be reevaluating the direction of this team. I don't know if things are going so well. I mean, that would be, you'd be laughed out of the room. You would literally be laughed out of the room if you were ever to suggest that about a team that was 23 and three. As things stand, the MCU is 23 and two. The jury's out on what's going to happen with Eternals. We'll see how the audience responds to it. We'll see how they go. But as of right now, it is the lowest critically rated MCU film so far. But even if this one turns out to bust with the fans, and we don't know that it will, but if it does, the MCU is then, instead of 23 and two, they're 23 and three. Do you really think at 23 and three that the MCU needs to reevaluate their direction? I don't think so. Especially not coming off this massive win with uh, Shang-Chi. Like, nobody is telling Kevin Feige, you best be rethinking what you're doing there, Kevin. Things don't seem to be going so well. So, no, yeah, we'll see. And then and then Eternals, again, I'm not going to be surprised if this thing ends up being a 90% audience rating. I also won't be surprised if it ends up being 60, but we'll see. We only got about a week to go to find out. All right. Uh, Vintage Ra writes, First thing, John, I hope you're well. Thank you so much, I am. Uh, Thank you for your channel and the hard work you put into the channel. My pleasure, man. Uh, Even though you're probably exhausted with long hours of planning, recording, editing, and balancing your personal life, you're doing your doing job. Well, yes, I am doing job. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, dude, very much. In all honesty, it's always nice when somebody wants to take time just to write in some some encouraging and, and uh, positive words. So thanks for that, man. I really appreciate that, dude. All right, next up, Jonathan writes, I'm honestly more amazed that it took Marvel almost 26 movies to finally have a borderline rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes. To think we all believe the MCU infallible. You mentioned Iron Man 2 and Thor 2 being the worst. At least they weren't hanging over they weren't hanging over a rotten score like Eternals. And those two movies were sequels to well-received first movies, whereas Eternals is the first. Question. Will Marvel do to Eternals like what they did to Inhumans and just keep them away in the background as they reference, or will we see Eternals continue? I, I kind of it's a fair question, Jonathan. I kind of already addressed this earlier, but they're they're going to continue with the Eternals. They're going to continue with the Eternals. There will be more Eternals. The Eternals will return. That I have absolutely zero doubt with. Now, the Eternals is also a different situation. The Eternals, in my opinion, is a good movie. Um, the majority of critics who have seen it think it's a good movie. How the fans will respond, I don't know. Because it is a very, I mean, I said that from the first time it came out. I'm not quite sure how other people will react to it. I personally liked it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go see it a third time tomorrow night. I'm not going to see it the seven times like I did with Shang-Chi, but I'm going to go see it for a third time tomorrow night. I'm going to drive into Burbank to go watch it tomorrow night. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But here's the thing. This is not like the Inhuman situation. Like the Inhumans, everyone, everyone saw that that was a stinker and it sucked. Like everybody did. I'm sure there might have been a few people related to the cast and related to the writers that maybe liked it. But for the most part, it was universally accepted that Inhumans was terrible. Now, I don't know if there even is. Let me look it up. Uh, I'm going to see if the TV show Inhumans has a... Yeah, so like, put it this way. The Inhumans 
on Rotten Tomatoes has an 11%. All right, an 11%. So that means pretty much everybody, pretty much everybody, uh, essentially everybody disliked Inhumans. Whereas, you know, Eternals is sitting at a 59% where a majority are liking it. So this is not the same scenario as the Inhumans. So no, the, the Eternals will be back. The only person that it matters, it, when it comes to the future of the Eternals, as just like the only person, when it comes to the future of Shang-Chi, when it comes to the future of Doctor Strange, when it comes to the future of the Eternals, there's only one person whose opinion that matters if they liked it or not. And that's Kevin Feige. He's it. He's the one who decides that, yes, this is the on the mark for me. I want to keep going in this. And if sometimes the audiences don't love what he did, like, listen, if they did, you know, the Rotten Tomato scores for Iron Man 2 weren't all that bad. But pretty much, you know, everybody kind of acknowledged these, these days that it's actually not all that great. Even though the critic scores were pretty decent, the critic scores for Iron Man 2 were like 12% higher than Eternals is. I think it's sitting around 70%. So it's like 12% higher than Eternals. But pretty much everybody acknowledges that that's not a good movie. I mean, most, I, I'm saying most people today will go, yeah, that's, that's either the weakest of the MCU films or one of the weakest of the MCU films. But did Kevin, but Kevin Feige believed in that character. He believed in the character. He believed in the movie. And even though Iron Man 2 wasn't so good, he continued on with Iron Man. And so we got Iron Man 3, which I actually kind of like. I know not everybody does. I kind of like. But then we got Iron Man continuing on in the Avengers films and in Civil War. And he's like the most beloved, if not him and Steve Rogers, the two most beloved characters in the MCU, had the fabulous ending moment in Endgame. I am Iron Man. Boom. Blah. See, if he had worried about that stuff, if he cared about anybody else's voice except the one in his own head, Iron Man would have ended right there. He's going to do the same thing with Inhumans. He loves, sorry, Inhumans, with the Eternals. He loves the Eternals. He loves this movie. He's going to continue on with it. It is definitely not going the way of the Inhumans. Definitely not. All right, next up. Good question, though, Jonathan. Uh, next up, Jonathan also writes, I think what I'm asking is, if Eternals isn't a fan favorite, will Marvel discontinue them? Nope, because they're a Kevin Feige favorite, and that's all that matters to Feige. Uh, not change their whole MCU plan, just push those guys away and make make them irrelevant. Nope, Kevin Feige's got a lot invested in these guys. He's got plans for the Eternals, and so they're continuing. Again, I don't know if the audience is going to love them. I don't know if the audience is going to hate them, but regardless of what happens, Kevin Feige's got future plans with them, and he listens to one voice, and that's his. And he's going to move forward with them. All right. Chloe Fanning writes, one documentary that I'm interested in seeing November is 14 Peaks on Netflix. Considering that most people uh, that have attempted to climb Annapurna and K2 fail at doing so, and they climbed all, all the 14 peaks in just 16 months, that is unbelievable cheers. That's interesting. And I think I heard of this. It's not really on my radar, but I believe I've heard about this one. Now, ever since you had... What was the, what was it? Uh, free free climb is that what it was called? The documentary won best documentary at the Academy Awards a couple of years ago. It's free style, free climb, free something, free something about the guy who climbed the mountain there. I think there's been some interest in that, so that's one a lot of people are probably going to keep their eyes on. Chloe, thanks for putting that on the radar. Dangerous D writes. 
Hey, John, there's rumors that Warner Brothers is developing a crossover platform fighting game. Warner Brothers has a vast amount of properties from Samurai Jack to Austin Powers. The number of different matchups is exciting, like Soups versus The Mask, Green Lantern versus Harry Potter. What's your dream match? Uh, honestly, none, because these like these fighting games, you know, including when you look at like uh, uh, Super Smash Brothers and stuff like that. I mean, these... It's not really Superman versus Mask like you would in a movie. So honestly, I'm not going to lie. I'm not I'm not saying anything bad about those games, not at all. But it's not like a real thing like getting in a movie to see, you know, what's a good example of yours? Like Samurai Jack versus Awesome Powers like in a movie. So it's it's just video game powers that they depower to make sure they're all at the same level and then it's up to the player's fighting skill. So honestly, to me, doesn't really make a difference. All right, next up, uh, Jonathan writes, Spider-Man is probably going to seem like a fucking best picture movie of the decade after Eternals. Actually, no, Eternals is quite good. I, I know you haven't seen Eternals yet, but why don't you wait until you see the movie before making proclamations like that? And don't forget, this is not an Inhumans 11% disaster. This is the majority of the critics still like it, and we haven't heard from the audience yet. But anyway... Oh boy, poor Eternals. My expectations are so low, it's absurd. Ah, well, guess we know Feige's bad day at the office. And and look, I'm still sitting here and saying, no, Eternals was a Marvel bad day at the office. Iron Fist was a Marvel bad day at the office. Iron Man 2 was a Marvel bad day at the office. Uh, To me, Jessica Jones, I know a lot of you guys like Jessica Jones, I respect that, but to me, Jessica Jones was a bad day at the office. Um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I know a lot of you guys like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and I respect that, but to me, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a bad day at the office. Eternals is not a bad day at the office. Um, And, you know, Robert, I mean, Robert likes it more than I do. Uh, I mean, I quite like it. He freaking loves this movie. But, yeah, this was... So, I would just say, Jonathan, before, you know, saying, oh, that movie's going to be best picture compared to this, before doing any of that... See the movie yourself before making... Now, if you want to make those proclamations after you've seen the movie, totally respect that. But I wouldn't be throwing around those proclamations until you've seen it. So why don't you check it out first and then start making those types of proclamations? But to me, this was not Kevin Feige's bad day at the office. All right, Nosferatu writes, Do you remember that scene from Star Wars where Luke tried to use the Force to catch the, uh, to catch the fog? He missed. <laughs> Ah, uh, we'll move on from there. Uh, Dean Hodee writes, in Spider-Man 2, Doctor Strange, in Spider-Man 2, it should be the, uh, no, anyway, in Spider-Man 2, Doctor Strange gets name dropped by J. Jonah Jameson after Doc Ock goes crazy. What are the odds? Well, it's not actually all that crazy. It was a specific Easter egg kind of nod, wink to the camera moment. And it was pretty fun when you look back at it now. Um, Jonathan writes, Dave Chappelle's my favorite comedian, hands down, but damn, Joe Coy is up there as well. I got to tell you, I think Joe, Joe Coy is my favorite um, is my favorite comedian right now. I, I think he totally is. Um, anyway, but damn, Joe Coy is up there as well. Uh, I Come on, I'm Filipino. How could I not love the guy? It's, not, uh, it's like not rooting for Pacquiao at the boxing match. I love Joe Coy because he's the only mainstream Filipino com- comedian that I know. Listen, it's not just that he's Filipino, which obviously you know, with my married side of the family being Filipino, my wife being Filipino, obviously it's fun, but he is just bloody awesome. He is so funny. If you haven't seen, I can't remember the specific name, 
But if you haven't seen the Joe Coy special that he, it's one of his more recent ones, it's on Netflix, that he does in Hawaii. It's one of the best comedy specials I've seen in a long time. He is, I think, my favorite stand-up comedian right now. All right, next up. Your name writes, one of two. You mentioned Iron Man 2 when discussing current MCU failures. Well, not failures, but I'm saying, you know, bad days at the office. Uh, if not for Iron Man 2, we would not have been introduced to either Black Widow. Yes, we would have. It just would have been a diff- in a different movie. Her outfit or the pose highly disliked by her Yelena. Um, or the pose highly disliked by Yelena. No, we would have. We just would have met her in another movie. It's just, just that simple. We would have met her in another movie. And listen, you can have bad movies that have important things in them. There are bad movies that have important elements that are dropped in, but that doesn't make them good movies. But yes, some significant things like the introduction of Black Widow to the MCU, that is a significant event that did in fact happen in Iron Man 2. Uh, Let's see. Um, Your Name also writes, uh, If a movie is partially filmed using IMAX cameras, would the viewing experience in Dolby slash Dolby Prime be similar to IMAX? No. Like, Things shot in Dolby, 70 millimeter Dolby cameras can only properly be viewed in an IMAX screen, at least in the way it's meant to be seen that way. When you're going into Dolby Prime, you're not going to see it that way, but it is to me still the better viewing experience. Like you can't go wrong with either an IMAX or a Dolby Prime, Dolby Cinema viewing experience. You can't go wrong with either of them. They're both great. I personally lean towards the Dolby Prime uh, with Dolby Cinema, the dual laser projection system, the the Atmos sound system, the leather reclining seats. To me, it just creates the better overall viewing experience, but there's a lot to be said for that IMAX experience too. But you are going to get two slightly different viewing experiences from both. All right, next up, Dangerous D writes, Hey, John, you mentioned before that Marvel was reluctant to make a Hulk movie because Universal has the rights to that character. They have the distribution rights to the character. It's very important distinction there but what made but what if they made it a movie exclusively for disney plus nope can't do that uh or do a limited series just like wandavision and how long is that deal with universal i believe the unit the deal with universal is perpetual i believe they do not go back to marvel unless somehow they make a deal for universal to give them back so it's perpetual what being having the distribution rights to a property means that if Disney makes, if Marvel makes a Hulk property, Sony, or sorry, Universal, gets to decide where that property goes. They can't make a movie and say, well, we're making this specifically for Disney+. Plus." Universal will just go, that's nice, but we're the distributor. We decide where that Hulk project goes. And if Disney+, Plus pays us a ton of money, we will let it be on Disney+. Plus. But if Warner Brothers offers us more money to put it on HBO Max, we're going to put it on HBO Max. Or we might decide to put it on Peacock. Or we might just decide to put it on YouTube for free. I don't think they can do that. But you know what I'm saying. So, no, Disney can't just say, well, we're going to make a Hulk movie, but, and try to use the loophole, we're making it exclusively for Disney+. Plus. Universal will go, "Uh -uh -uh uh-uh-uh-uh. We're the distributor. The distributor decides where it goes. And that is the problem that D- Disney and, M- the, and Marvel have every right to make a Hulk property. They then just have to work with Universal as the distributor, and they don't want to do that. And so I think 
you know, they want to get those distribution rights back from Universal. Universal's probably willing to give them up, but probably not unless they get a lot back in return and maybe it's too much than what Marvel wants to pay for it. I don't know. But yeah, it's it's uh, the Hulk situation is very convoluted. It's very, very convoluted. All right, next up, the Sock writes, I'm watching Doom Patrol. I love Doom Patrol. Um, the group therapy episode, I love that episode. And Jane said, you'll never be a father because you're not even a man. Uh, Cliff fired back and now he's the asshole. You don't get to hit someone's most sensitive buttons and then cry when someone pushes back. I call that punchback babies. I call that punchback babies. I'll give you an example. And nothing angers me more than punchback babies. A punchback baby to me is exactly what you're talking about, right? Like if you're just standing around at the bus corner and some dude comes up and hits you and you turn around and hit them back and then they whine and complain that you hit them back. I call that being a punchback baby. I'm not going to use names, but I'll give you an example of this. Um, I had a situation once where I was working for a company and I was in charge of this division and I had made a decision about something. Now, somebody else who worked for another division came to me asking me to do something different with my division. And we talked about, I said, you know, I'm hearing you, but I don't believe that's the best course of action. I'm going to do this. Appreciate your input, but I'm going to do this. What I later found out was I had a couple of my staff come to me and say, um, John, did you know that this other person has been now calling us behind your back, trying to get us to make the changes that you refuse to make? I was livid. Livid doesn't even describe it. This person tried to usurp our structure tried to go behind my back to my staff to get them to implement behind my back the changes they wanted my division to do, even though I'm the one, it was my call, it was my decision to make, and we had discussed it, I heard them out, I made my decision, this is what we're going to do with our division. They went behind my back, they under they tried to undermine my authority, went to a couple people on my staff and tried to get them in a sneaky way to implement the changes they wanted to see without me finding out about it. Of course, my staff came and said, John, just so you know, uh, this, this person is trying to get us to do this. I was, it was, it was completely unprofessional betrayal. And I got on the phone with this person and in my very loud Italian way, forcefully impressed upon them that what they did was unacceptable and that they were a low life for doing it. And I would never tolerate that ever happening again. In other words, I yelled and screamed at them because they had pulled, they had pulled like just something unbelievably Bush league and underhanded. Right? So this person that I just laid into calls our parent company to complain that I yelled at them to complain that I yelled at them. 
So the company calls me and says, you know, we've had a complaint because you yelled at this particular, you know, person who's under our same parent company. And I'm like, hold up, hold up, hold up. You're not calling me to talk about the fact that that person double-crossed me and went behind my back to try to usurp my authority in this division and went to my staff behind my back to try to trick them into implementing a change in our organization that I did not authorize. But that's not what you're calling me to talk about. You're calling me to talk about that I yelled at them for doing it. That's what you're calling me to talk about? And they said, yes. I said, all right, goodbye. I'm out. I'm out. Good luck running your little organization. Let's see how this goes. And they panicked. They got two of their company vice presidents to get on a plane, fly across the country, come and sit down and meet with me. And the first thing one of the vice presidents said to me, you're not actually going to quit over this. I mean, you've got a good job here. You're not actually going to quit. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, I really, really am. You just flew across the country for me to tell you what I already told you on the phone. I'm, I'm leaving. So then they try to set up this big intervention where they had the two vice presidents. They had me. They brought in the individual, the, the little snake individual who double-crossed me into the room. And to the other person's credit, they owned up and they apologized. Like, they owned up. They did. They they very honestly and very sincerely said, I now realize how brutal it was. I can't imagine how I would have reacted if somebody did the same thing for me. And to their credit, and I I do give them full credit, to their credit, they fully owned up to it. And they said, you know what? This is on me. I promise you this will never happen again. Um, And, you know, don't, don't go and blah, blah. And I heard them out and I eventually left anyway. I decided to quit anyway. But anyway, Back to what you're saying, the sock. Yes, punchback babies are one of the biggest things in the world that drive me crazy. Don't insult somebody and then cry about it when they insult you back. Don't go up and punch somebody in the stomach and then cry about it when they smack you in the face. Like, there is nothing to me more insufferable than a punchback baby. Like, I even got into it with somebody... In my live chat before one of the shows started uh, a few weeks ago, like somebody on the show, like we were, we were, there was a good discussion going on. I can't remember exactly what it was about, but it had something to do with comic book movies, right? And somebody wrote something like, well, John, if you ever read a comic book, you would know that like it had been a pretty good discussion up until that point. And somebody wrote like, John, if you ever read a comic book, you would know that. Okay. Okay. You crossed the line. So now when you cross the line with me, I'm going to cross the line back. All right. And I, and I said to this guy, listen, junior with this. And I quoted them. If you ever read a comic, it's like, look, I read more comics before I turned 30 than you ever will in your life. Okay. And I know I'm not talking to John Schnapp or Robert Meyer Burnett here. So I know what I'm saying is true. I, that wouldn't be true if I was talking to them. But I know that's not the case with you. I've read more comic books by the time I was 30 than you ever will in your entire life. So why don't you just back the fuck off with this if you ever read a comic book talk, right? And they immediately wrote back, oh, John, I can't believe you would speak to me like that. I'm a viewer of your show. How how dare you? I thought you were different. And I'm like, look, if you're going to come in here and act respectful, you're going to be treated respectfully. 
you come in here and start throwing around bullshit like that, I'm going to, if you smack me, I'm going to smack you back. You know, uh, it just is what it is. Don't be a punchback baby. I cannot stand punchback. I know I've ranted on this for a long time, but it is one of those little pet peeves in my life. And I think that's part of the reason why, do you remember a little while ago when Tom Cruise was in the news, like Tom Cruise, he caught these two guys. He's trying to get this hundreds and hundreds of million dollar movie made. I think it's the Mission Impossible movie. And he caught a couple of guys violating, like they were under very strict rules and he caught a couple of the crew members violating their COVID protocols for like the second or third time. And he didn't fire them, although he would have been fully justified in firing them. He could have fired them, made them lose their jobs immediately and blacklisted them in the business, saying nobody hire these guys. He could have done that, but he didn't. But he yelled at them because they put his livelihood and the livelihood of everybody else who worked on that movie at risk. And he laid into them and he screamed at them that they they were breaking the rules again. They were jeopardizing this hundreds of millions of dollars project that every studio is keeping an eye on them to see if they can make, a movies, make movies happen during the COVID pandemic, all this kind of stuff and everything that was on the line. And he didn't fire them, although he should have. He could have taken away their livelihoods and he maybe should have, but he didn't. But he did lay into them a lot. And I cannot believe the amount of babies in this world who are like, Tom Cruise shouldn't have yelled at them. Oh, these poor little princesses being yelled at. Whatever shall they do? It's like these guys put hundreds of people's jobs at risk. These people put a $200 million project at risk. These guys were breaking rules that insurance companies had in place about producing a movie right in the heart of the pandemic. They were endangering everybody. Oh, but they got yelled at. Fucking babies. If you're going to make adult-level dumbass decisions and do adult-level dumbass things, then take it like an adult when you get held accountable for it. At any rate, again, punchback babyism. Absolutely drives me crazy. It absolutely drives me crazy. All right. Anyway, went on with that far too long than I should have. Okay, let's get back to it. And I'm loving Doom Patrol, by the way, Sock. All right. In Soho last night, uh, one or two. John, I was wondering what you thought of the last night in Soho. You know what? I was supposed to go see it tonight. I was supposed to go see earlier this afternoon. I was supposed to go see the last night in Soho. And something came up. I can't discuss it here, but something came up. Nothing bad. Nothing bad. But something came up and I wasn't able to go. So I still, I'm sitting here right now, having not seen Last Night in Soho, a movie by Edgar Wright, one of my favorite directors, and I've still not gotten out to see it yet. I'm going to correct that very quickly. I'm going to correct that very quickly, but I haven't seen it yet, but I'm dying to see it. Anyway, I was lucky enough to go to screening in Leicester Square last night with Edgar himself introducing the film. Have you met him? Have you met him before? Uh, Thought he came across as a great guy. Um... Have I met uh, Edgar Wright before? Well, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, I just pausing for a second just so I could uh, pull together a, a couple of fun pictures because I thought I want to show you this one picture for sure. So you're asking me, have I, have I ever met Edgar Wright? So yes, uh, on a number of occasions, actually quite a bit. Uh, we've written back and forth on social media together a few times. But anyway, so I'm going to show you the first time I ever met Edgar Wright. Uh, and that was here. Look at those two baby faces. This is back in 2004. So um, 
Edgar Wright, this was back when they were just launching Shaun of the Dead. And they were doing their very first screening, a special screening of Shaun of the Dead in Canada. And they were flying over for it. And they this is back when I was still doing the movie blog. And they had invited us at the movie blog to come to the screening, got to have breakfast with a couple of guys the next morning and stuff like that. And this was the first night, the first time I ever met Edgar Wright. Now, uh, later on, uh, he came and was my special guest on my Masters of the Web panel at Comic-Con. Uh, a couple of years later, and this was uh, him with me at our Masters of the Web party that we did later that night after we did the panel, uh, and he brought the entire cast of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World at that one as well. And then a, a few years after that, they invited me to be the moderator because they were doing their first screening of uh, uh, World's End. Is that the name of their third film, World's End? I think it's that's the name. Of it. Anyway, I think it's World's End. Um, and so that's me, Edgar, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost over there. And they, they invited me to come and, uh, be the moderator for their, you know, first screening of it in the U S and that was an awful lot of fun. He continues to this day, uh, to be absolutely one of my favorite directors because not only can he do stuff like Shaun of the dead, not only can he do stuff like Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which is a movie I absolutely adore. And then he can do a movie like baby driver, which I absolutely adore, um, and I am dying to see Last Night in Soho. And again, I'm super upset that I haven't actually had a chance to get it and watch it yet. But anyway, yes, if you think he comes across as a great guy, you're absolutely right. Fabulous, wonderful, coolest dude to be around. Uh, I absolutely, absolutely love Edgar Wright. I think the dude's absolutely incredible. Love him as a director. I think he's great. Um, that was one, two, two, two. Uh, he told stories about how they shot certain scenes and the importance of the 60s to him despite being born in the 70s. He also said, and that was all we got. There's no, he also, oh, oh, he also said to listen out for when Dolby kicks in and when it did, wow, um, made it very immersive. I thought the film was great. Yeah, I'm hearing great things about Last Night in Soho. I'm really kind of jealous that you've had a chance to see it already, and I cannot wait to watch it for myself. All right, next up, Dangerous D writes, Hey, John, Dune's box office gold. I wouldn't say it's gold, but it's doing pretty good. Um, just years before... Uh, this novel was considered hard to adapt to film, even when they tried twice before and it didn't work, much like Wheel of Time was considered hard to adapt. With the film technology so advanced, is there hard to adapt books? Yeah, listen, the whole idea of a film, of a book being very difficult to film really doesn't have much to do with, um, with technology. It's about the story. Like a great example of that is A Wrinkle in Time. The Ava DuVernay film that came out a couple of years ago, Oprah Winfrey was in it. That book was considered almost impossible to film, but not because of the technology. It wasn't the technology that was making it possible. It was just the, the nature of the film, the nature of the story. Just like some of... Um, um, some, Lord, some Lord of the Rings earlier stuff, like Tolkien's earlier stuff... Now, in particular, Cimmerillion and stuff like that is just considered unfilmable, not because of the technology limitations, but because it's just a very difficult text to try to put into a visual medium and, and a video medium, whether it's a movie on or television, whatever. 
it's it's just a difficult one to do. So yes, there are still several books, that being one, that are still considered today to be almost borderline unfilmable. It doesn't mean they won't try. A lot of people considered Wrinkle in Time unfilmable, and I think the movie proved that it was unfilmable. Um, but anyway, there's just kind of that. All right, next up. Uh, that was Dangerous D. Next, we got Alan Dale who writes, John, quick fact, I, fit, quick fact I spotted recently. Did you know the little boy who spots Steve incognito in the Captain America Museum in Winter Soldier is also one of the kids who asks Hulk for his selfie in Endgame? Is that true? Like, do we know that that's a fact? Jump into the comment section if you know if that's a fact. Because if that is a fact, that's pretty hilarious. I love that. I never knew about that. I love these little factoids that you guys send in. Thank you for that, Alan, very much. All right, next up. Uh, Chuck the Mystery writes, Hey, John, uh, one of two. I finally got to see Tango Shalom, that's Robert Meyer Burnett's movie, uh, this weekend and thought it was charming and hilarious. I never knew Karina Smirnoff uh, was an actress as well as being a pro dancer. She was fantastic. Congrats, Rob. I also saw last night um, in Soho, Anya Taylor-Joy was, as always, spectacular, and the movie took a series of odd turns that made me unsure of how I felt about it. Creative and thought-provoking for sure. I definitely need to see it again. Did you see it? Thoughts? Thanks. Well, I just went in about the fact that I'm disgusted that I haven't seen it, and I cannot wait to watch this film. But I'm so glad you took the time to go see Tango Shalom. I know Robert has worked so hard on this movie, for so long, for so many years, he has worked tirelessly on this movie uh, as an editor, as a post-production uh, coordinator, as a producer. He has worked so hard on this film, and it's uh, so great to see it getting the reception it's getting. And so, thank you so much for going out and supporting it, man. All right, next up, we go to Garden Variety Vagabond, who writes, Anyone who has yet to see Last Night in Soho, sticking on that theme, treat yourself and see this movie. So far in my top five of the year. Amazing story, acting and cinematography, excellent in so many ways. Now I need to go uh, both Soho, London, and 1965. Again, another vote for Last Night in Soho, and I'm going to end up being one of the last guys to see it, even though I'm one of the most excited guys in the world to see it. Anyway, next up, Jason in Prescott writes, I saw last, again, Last Night in Soho. I saw Last Night in Soho, a marvelously crafted, mind-bending and psychological mystery thriller with enchanting visuals and great soundtrack slash score. The ending is a twisted delight, an Edgar Wright masterpiece and my new obsession, best film of 2021. Dude, that's making me so jealous. But it also kind of highlights the massive disappointment that it was at the box office. The movie only made $4.1 million on its opening weekend, which is really, uh, I mean, really unfortunate that a movie that's apparently, according to a lot of other people, this good and is like an original film. This is the funny thing that this, you know, maybe last night in Soho will become the next one of the uh, nice guys movies, you know. People always complain whenever there's a like a sequel announced or a remake, people who think it makes them sound smart go, oh, oh, Hollywood doesn't do anything original anymore. Oh, well, no, actually, more original film is being made today than at any other time in Hollywood history, except that you don't go see it. Now, for a long time, the poster child movie for this has been Nice Guys, a Shane Black film starring Ryan Gosling, Russell Crowe, a Fabulous, fabulous original film. 
Just fantastic, entertaining, totally delightful movie, a lot of fun, and it totally tanked. Nobody went to go see it. And now here we are. We got Last Night in Soho. Now, I cannot speak for it to it directly because I haven't seen it yet, sadly. But from all accounts, from critics and audiences, we're hearing it's dazzling and original and a twisted mystery. And, and it's just great. Everybody's saying it's great. Maybe I'll love it. Maybe I won't. I don't know. But everybody else is saying it's great. It made $4.1 million on its opening weekend. $4.1 million on its opening weekend. Like, what, what, are, what are we asking for? Give us original movies. Oh, they, then they give them original movies. And they don't go watch it. They don't go watch it. John, aren't you part of the problem since you haven't seen it yet either yourself? Yep. Yeah, I'm kind of in, in this specific circumstance of Last Night in Soho. I am part of the problem. Yes. Uh, but I am going to get out there and see it. But it's, it's really unfortunate to see a movie by such a great filmmaker like Edgar Wright with such amazing talent in it like Anya Taylor-Joy. And I think Matt Smith is in it too. And that the critics seem to say is really good and the audience seems to say it's really good. Let me bring this up here. Last night in Soho. Let me see if I can get this. See what Rotten Tomatoes is saying about it. So as of right now, the movie has a 74 fresh critic rating and a 91% audience rating. 74% Positive critic rating, 91% positive critic score, but it only made four. It's an Edgar Wright film and it only made 4.1 million opening weekend. I just don't get it. It's sometimes it's a little head scratchy, man. It's sometimes a little head scratchy. Give us more original films. Okay, here you go. No, we're not interested. Thanks. I mean, that's, that's us as the audience. We pretty much do that. All right, next up. Good Canadian kid writes, which one do you like better? Black Widow or Eternals? Eternals. Yeah. yeah. Don't get me wrong. I like Black Widow. I do. I like it. I, I don't I didn't think it was great. I had some big major problems with it, including like the just a terrible, terrible villain. I hated the villain. Both villains. Like the two main villains film were just a, a total waste. But there was enough strong stuff in there, like all the family stuff, that I still like the film. I do. Um, but I I really quite like Eternals. Not on the same level as Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi to me is still by far the best comic book movie of the year. We'll see if it stays that way after we see Spider-Man No Way Home. But for now, Shang-Chi is my favorite. Second favorite is Eternals. So that's how I would rank that. All right, next up. Ivan Pietro writes, I'm from San Francisco and came to LA two weeks ago and I checked out the AMC Burbank 16. That is still, it's not my home movie theater anymore. Now my home theater is the AMC uh, Tyler Galleria uh, here in Riverside. But because uh, I used to live in Burbank until earlier, earlier this year, moved out. But that is still my favorite theater. AMC Burbank 16 is my favorite theater. And it's amazing. If you're ever in the Bay Area, check out the AMC Metreon. I did go to the Metreon once when I was up in San Francisco. It's a fantastic theater. I really liked it. Or the AMC in Santa Clara. I've never been to that one. They will blow your mind, I promise. Best theater experience I've ever had there. Yeah, I really do like the Metreon. I had a really good time at that theater. I mean, Burbank 16 is still my favorite, but that is a great theater up there in the Bay Area. Thanks for sharing that, Ivan. All right, next up, Ivan also writes, Funny how MCU fans see reviews for Eternals, get a low score, and they say, don't trust the critics. But when a DC movie gets a low score, they're quick to say the movie sucks. So for MCU fans, the Rotten Tomato score only works when they give good reviews to their movies. Uh, That's not true, Ivan. That is totally true of DC fans as well. Totally true of DC fans. They do the exact same thing. 
Like when a bad score comes out for a DC movie, oh, don't trust the critics. But as soon as a good score for a DC movie comes out, they're like, ah, see, critics like it. See, critics like it. It's, it's the exact same thing. It ain't just the MCU fans. It's also the DC fans. They do that as well. Now, you know, for all we know, I really do question how MCU fans are going to feel about the Eternals because it is not a DNA blood-related MCU movie. It feels so drastically different on a genetic level. And I don't know if that's going to rub some MCU fans the wrong way. So for all we know, a lot of the MCU fans are going to see Eternals and they may not like it. Again, that's why I was saying I'm not going to be surprised if it gets a 90% audience rating. I'm not going to be surprised if it gets 60 I'm just not. I just don't know where it's going to fall there, but we'll see. All right, next up. We got Murray writes. One and two. I saw last night, man, a ton of people talking about last night in Soho. If only that was reflected in the box office. Uh, one of two writes, I saw last night in Soho and I thought it was very good. I liked the style Edgar Wright went with combining modern day with the 60s, but making it feel a uh, few different styles. Drama, mystery, horror. Both Thomas and Mackenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy's performances were great. The last 30 minutes were overwhelming, but overall, I enjoyed it. The music was great. I say it's worth the watch. I'm glad you're adding your voice to the recommendation on that Murray Reich because a lot of people didn't go see it, and maybe hearing from enough of you, they will, including myself. I need to get out and see it this week. I can't see it tomorrow because I'm seeing Eternals again, but then I'll probably go see it uh, Wednesday or Thursday, Thursday once Anne gets back in town because I know she wants to see it too. Uh, Murray Reich also writes, I saw Dune last week at a 70mm IMAX screen at AMC Lincoln Square in New York City, and I was totally stunned by the panoramic screen. The score, sound, acting was great. Overall, amazing experience. I usually see movies in Dolby, but this was a special experience for me. And, you know, this is one of those situations, Murray, where, you know, I was just saying a little bit earlier, I prefer the Dolby experience. But for a movie that is as cinematic as Dune is, and that much of it was shot in IMAX, the IMAX format, seeing it properly play on an IMAX screen in that IMAX format is something I might say is an exception. My actual first experience watching Dune was, as a matter of fact, in a big IMAX screen. And that experience was incredible. Absolutely incredible. And uh, I cannot wait to see that again. I cannot wait to see that again. Uh, I've, I've seen it multiple. No, no, no. I take it back. That My first experience was not in the IMAX. Not my first one. It was my second viewing. I saw it in the IMAX. So anyway, and I'm going to see it again. I'm definitely going to go see it again. All right. Next up. Uh, Super Korean writes. Hey, John and Rob, if Rob's there, Rob's not here and Rob's not going to be here all week. I mentioned that on the John Camp show earlier today. He's working on a new animation project that we can't say anything about, but that's going to keep him busy most of the mornings for this week. So we'll see Rob again, back again next week. Um, so I heard it through the grapevine that Jim Carrey, ah, uh, this bullshit. I heard it through the grapevine that Jim Carrey is rumored to be playing Modoc uh, in multiple MCU movies. Personally, I think this is perfect casting. And I also think that Jim Carrey would make a great feeling in the MCU. Yeah. Those whispers started going around. These all came from like anonymous Reddit posters and it was on wegotthiscovered.com and then a couple of other places picked up on it, but not because they heard it through their own sources. They were just repeating what they heard from those things. So I wouldn't pay any attention to it. Uh, and I love Jim Carrey, but I don't think he would be a fit for the MCU. I love Jim Carrey. Good Canadian kid, Jim Carrey, but I don't think he'd be a good fit for the MCU. 
Um, so, no, I wouldn't believe that story. I mean, who knows? It might turn out to be true. Uh, you know, 5% of these rumors that start on Reddit turn out to be true. 95%, most of them are just bullshit. But I think this one falls under the bullshit category, so I wouldn't pay any attention to that rumor. All right, Ryan Loner writes, I'm massively amused by how DC is openly marketing the Flash movie as Michael Keaton's Batman, guest starring the choky choky guy. <laughs> yeah, they know full well why most people want to see this movie. I'm going to disagree with you on that, Ryan. I don't think they're marketing that way at all. I don't think they're marketing that way at all. I think fans are talking about it that way. When fans talk about the upcoming Flash movie, they're talking about Michael Keaton. They're not talking about Choky Choky Man and Ezra Miller. They're not talking about him. They're talking about Michael Keaton. But DC isn't doing it that way. Like, even when you go to DC Fandom, they didn't have Michael Keaton on screen talking. They had Ezra Miller on screen talking. They were featuring Ezra Miller. Um... And again, I think we confuse in how the audience is talking about it with how we think the studio, the studio hasn't even begun promoting Flash yet. They haven't even begun promoting that movie yet. And what they have done at things like DC Fandom, they have absolutely featured Ezra Miller. They have absolutely featured Ezra Miller. So it, that is the way it feels. The way you're describing it, Ryan is absolutely the way it feels, but it's not coming from DC. It's coming from everybody else, and that's just the way people seem to be talking about it. All right, Scott Brown writes. Um, where do we go? There it is. Saw Antlers this week, and that's another one I'm dying to see. I think the trailer for Antlers looks awesome. I can't wait to see this. I love Carrie Russell, too, by the way. Love her. Anyway, I saw Antlers this weekend, and I was re- and it was really good. Very creepy, well-directed, well-acted, and the creature effects and design were fantastic. Also, Carrie Russell is always amazing. If you haven't seen The Americans yet, she is phenomenal uh, in that phenomenal show. And, of course, she got her start. I believe the show was called Felicity. Is that what it was? was? But then she was in this dynamite movie with Nathan Fillion called Waitress. That is now a big Broadway show. But... It was this charming, little, wonderful movie called Waitress. She was a star of Nathan Fillion's in it again. Um, it's just great. If you get a chance, but I love her. I really do, really, really do love Carrie Russell. And I've never watched The Americans, but I've had a lot of people, and it's won a lot of awards. So at some point, I'm going to have to binge The Americans and get myself caught up on it. All right. Max92 writes, one of two. Hey, John. Went to see The French Dispatch this Sunday. Great movie at a local UCI theater, AMC in Germany. During the previews, a trailer of Death on the Nile with Army Hammer was shown, and it surprised me since I've never seen the trailer before. And I am a regular at my local UCI theater. Is this any indication on the future of the movie, or is this trailer just a leftover from before the pandemic? All right, Max, I got to tell you, I do not know the answer on that for sure, but let me tell you my guess. My guess is... It is a leftover from pre-pandemic. A lot has happened since the pandemic. I believe I looked it up yesterday, and as of yesterday, so maybe I'm missing something, uh, Death on the Nile is still not scheduled to have a theatrical release. There's still no theatrical release schedule for it. There's been no announcement if it's even going to go to theaters. And I'm suspecting it won't. So there's been no official word about whether it'll go to theaters, about whether they'll even play it on HBO, listen, or on uh, Disney+. Plus. Listen, I honestly think there is a chance, just a chance, but I'm honestly starting to think that there is a chance 
that this movie just gets buried. That Disney just takes this movie, Death on the Nile, goes out to the Nevada desert, digs a little mouse hole. Ha ha! You know, get out there and they dig a little mouse hole, drop the film strip and the film reel of Death on the Nile in there, cover it up, ha ha! And then leave. And just pretend like it never happened. I'm not saying that's what they're going to do. I'm, I'm just saying I... It's very rare that I could think of a circumstance where a movie would, a studio would just eat that kind of loss, but they might do it with Death on the Nile. They might. I mean, it could still very well still get a theatrical release, or they might just move it to Disney Plus, or they might just drop it on Hulu very quietly. But I honestly think there is a chance they just bury this movie. We'll have to wait and see. All right. Next up, Kevin George writes, The Boba Fett trailer reminds me of season two of HBO's Rome. Boba and Fennec and Lucius and Pullo have taken over the, um, I'm going to mispronounce this brutally, Aventine Collegium. Uh, It still hurts that there wasn't a season three of Rome. Yeah, I remember I was late to Rome. I started watching that late and it's uh, like after it was done, actually, is when I finally went back and watched Rome. And it is kind of crazy that it didn't get more. But from everything I remember, it was because it was a ludicrously expensive show to make, like ludicrously expensive for them to make. And shooting a show that expensive was way ahead of its time. Like today, you get shows like Game of Thrones and you get shows like the new Lord of the Rings series where ungodly amounts of money are being spent on these shows. So it's a little less unusual today, but at the time it was like, well, um, Deadwood was another one that was like that. Like that was a show that got killed before it's time because just too expensive for it to make. So, I mean, if I'm remembering it correctly, remember I'm somebody who watched it after the fact, so I probably know less than you do about it, but it is kind of weird when you think about it that way. All right. Last question of the day comes to us from Holland Love who writes, Happy Monday, John and Rob, and obviously Rob's not here today, over under 51.1% that during the credits of No Way Home, there will be text that states either, one, the Sinister Sticks will return, nah, or two, Spider-Man will return, question mark, intentional question mark, thanks and have a great week. I'm going to go well under 50%, but not zero. I think there's a there's a chance of that, but I, I think... Instead of saying 51.1%, I think it'd be closer to say like 15 to 17 to 18% chance. So it's a possibility, but I wouldn't give it anywhere near as high as 50%. But it's possible. It's possible. All right, guys, that'll do it. For this installment of the companion videos, thank you guys so much for joining us here for this video. Big thank you to all you guys who sent in those questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. Number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the John Campia Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Okay, guys, don't forget, make sure to come back for the John Campia Show tomorrow. We're going to be talking about that Morbius trailer. They said they're dropping a Morbius trailer tomorrow, so hopefully that'll be the big topic of conversation. So make sure you guys come and join us for that. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for me. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.